Sometimes I wonder how I can even have a job. (laughs) It's a miracle. All right, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, Father, and that it can cut right to the marrow, Father. And so, God, I ask for you to do that for us this morning, Father. Please cut through to the marrow, Lord. Reveal to us our position, Father, in your kingdom. We pray that we would hear the truth, Father, and receive it with joy. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that I love to do after I've had a long day and I put the kids to bed is to lay on the couch and watch weird documentaries on Netflix. There's just something about it that interests me. And about two weeks ago, as I was scrolling through the list of available documentaries, I stumbled across this one that's called Birdman. The original dream of flight. Now, this documentary is about these guys that climb up to these high peaks in Norway, in different parts of the world. And they put on these suits that have webbing. So there's webbing here and there's webbing between their legs. And they go to the edge of the cliff and they jump. And as they're falling towards the ground, they spread out their arms and their legs and they have to reach enough velocity and catch enough wind to move away from the cliff before they die. Before they die. And then what they do is they see how close they can go to the ground flying through these canyons before at the last second pulling their chute to safety. Now to get to that point, to get to that point to where you could stand on the edge of that cliff and jump off so you don't die, you first have to jump out of an airplane with a normal parachute at least 200 times. And once you've mastered that, you then have to jump out of an airplane in your bird suit right? at least a hundred times. And after you've done that, you have to jump off of a cliff with a normal parachute at least a hundred times. And only then are you in a position to be able to take that jump on the edge of the cliff with a high chance of being able to survive. And it blew my mind. People actually do this? And as you're watching the documentary, there's one part where one of these guys who does this all the time says, so many people have died along the way to get to where we are now, to have the suits that we have now. And every single person who does this has friends that have died doing it. There's no question that they're dedicated to the sport. And so I'd like to show you the trailer to this movie so you can get a glimpse for what it's about and that this will make sense. So there is no question in my mind that people who meet these guys know what they're living for. They've invested their time, their money, they've honed their skills. This is what they're living for. For a one-minute adrenaline rush. And after watching this documentary, late at night, I thought to myself, 
What am I living for? Is there anything that's so valuable to me that I'm willing to risk my life to do it? Deep down, am I living for excitement like these guys are? Am I living for comfort? For security? For my own pleasure? Or am I living for the kingdom of God? What is it that's driving my life? What is it that I'm worshiping? And so this morning, I ask you that same question. What's driving you? What is it that you worship? Where do you find your security? Jesus asks us that same question in the parable of the talents. He's on the Mount of Olives and he's with his disciples and he's giving them a picture for what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's illustrating who will be there and who won't be there. You see, how you answer that question, how you answer the question as to what's the motivating factor behind your life, will give you a clue into your ultimate destiny. Now, if you're not living for God, this parable that talents gives a severe warning. If you are living for Jesus, it gives you a great encouragement. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And let's read the parable of the talents together. Beginning in verse 14. Jesus says, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. And gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent into the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the, man, the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to he who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless service, servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the one thing that's clear from this parable is that the man going on a journey who's going away he represents God. And the servants represent people who have some form of a relationship with the master. They're his servants. They all call him master. And Jesus calls him his servants. And so the servants in this parable represent professed believers. Right? In today's terms, it would be those who profess to have a relationship with the Father and they call Him their Master. But what the heck do the talents represent? 
And it actually took me a while to understand what Jesus was talking about when he was referring to these talents. Is it your faith? Is it your gifts? Is it your natural abilities? Well, the one thing we know is that a talent, the term used here represented a certain weight of silver. It was a finite amount of silver that was very valuable. And it equaled about 20 years worth of wages for the common laborer. Right, so whether you had one talent or two talents or five talents, what you had was worth a tremendous amount of value. We also know that this talent is God's property. In verse 14 it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. These talents are God's property. It's not something man can give. It's only something that God can give. We also know that these talents don't represent natural ability or gifts, which is what I originally thought it meant. And how do we know this? Well, in verse 15 he says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Right, so these talents, the number of talents that the master is giving is based on your natural ability. So it's not ability itself. It's also implied that these talents that are given are expected to produce a gain. Right, it's something that can be risked. It can be lost or it can increase. And the decision to invest the talent for this thing of great value is solely up to the servant. He can choose to do it or he can utterly refuse to do it. It's the servant's choice. And lastly, it's implied that the talents were to be invested solely for the benefit of the master, not the servant. It's not given to him for his own use. And as far as the servant could see, they would have to absorb any loss, but the master would get all of the gain. The master alone would benefit from this transaction. So what do these talents represent? I think they represent golden opportunities that God gives us that only God alone could give to exercise your faith. These are the moments of decision when we have to choose between playing it safe and thinking about ourselves or risking our reputation, our lives, our comfort in order that God may have what He wants. When I was a new accountant with Deloitte, the firm that I worked for, I had been with the firm for about two years. And I had a client in Simi Valley that manufactured these safety cables for massive aircraft. So a big company, made probably 100 million bucks a year. And I was a second year staff accountant. And my job was to go into this manufacturing facility to check it out and to count the inventory. Okay. Now when you're an auditor and you do something like that, usually the chief financial officer of the company wants to make sure that you're contained. Right? And so this chief financial officer of this big company, this older man, was following me around. Right? And so if I were to identify an issue, he'd try to use his Jedi mind tricks on me, right? But that doesn't work. Because I'm a seeker of truth. So, so I'm walking around this, this factory floor and this older guy's walking with me and, I, and he just seemed down. And I was finding some issues and he's getting upset and I, and I looked at him in the eye and I said, his name is Israel. I said, Israel, 
What's wrong? What's going on? And his eyes welled up. And he goes, a week ago, my little daughter Daniela, who's six, was playing. And she was running around this corner and she banged her knee on the coffee table. And she had a bruise. And this was just aching and aching and aching. And it wouldn't go away. And so three days ago, we decided to take her to the doctor. Doctor took an x-ray. She had a malignant cancer tumor on her leg. And they had to amputate her leg. And she was in the process of getting ready to go through chemotherapy and her life was hanging in the balance. One thing I'm never allowed to do at work is talk about religion. Is to share my faith. Both internally and with my clients. Right, it's something that the people who I work for wouldn't view that as a good thing. And so here was a man who had no hope. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, here's a talent. This thing of great worth. This is 20 years worth of wages. I'm going to give this to you. Are you going to invest it right now? Are you going to take personal risk for me? Or are you going to do what most people would do and just say, you know, I'm sorry about that. That sucks. And God gave me the courage in that moment to give him hope. And I prayed with him. And I could feel the Holy Spirit there working. You see, God created that opportunity. He put that opportunity right in front of me. And I had to choose. Am I going to invest in his kingdom or am I going to worry about myself? That's what these talents represent. The Lord alone would benefit from that transaction. Another time, it was a Sunday, and Bonnie and I were wiped out. I had been working a lot, six, seven days a week, and I was laying on the couch, and the salesman comes to the door. And I open up the door, and he starts talking, I'm thinking... I, somehow I got to figure out how to get rid of this guy. And he's telling, he's selling this cleaning product. And he goes, I got this product and it's like a hurricane. And he was supposed to, he has his sales pitch, he's supposed to twirl it and make it spin and make it look all cool. And it wasn't, he was fumbling the, he was fumbling the transaction, right? The pitch. And he goes, don't worry about that. Let me just show you how great this stuff cleans. And he goes to my driveway and he sprays it and he's scrubbing it. Wasn't working. Right? His whole thing was falling apart right before my eyes. And I looked at him. I said, man, what are you doing? And he looked at me and goes, I know. This is horrible. And I could sense that he was hurting. And I wanted so bad to kick him off of my porch and to go back inside and go to sleep. And I said, why don't you come inside? He goes, yeah, I'm not selling anything anyway, so my boss isn't going to care. And I said, what's going on? What's your, tell me your story. And he says, well, I'm from Chicago. And I got involved with this company that sells this cleaning product, and they just take a bunch of people, and you go from city to city to city, slinging these cleaning products. And he said, I have to do it. I go, why? He goes, you know what? I have a wife. She just had a baby. She's in the Motel 8 with me. My brother just came home from Iraq and he killed himself two weeks ago. My family's out of money. And he looks at me in the eye and he goes, you know what? I'm this close to killing myself too. This is serious stuff. These opportunities are valuable in the Lord's sight. And we were able to share the gospel with him. 
we were able to get him enough money to get him back to Chicago. And then through Cornerstone, we were able to connect him with a pastor from a local church there who received him into his arms as he came back home. You see, these opportunities are everywhere if you're in tune with the Spirit. Now, I'm not perfect. There's opportunities that I've fumbled, that I've lost, that I've screwed up. And that's okay. Because God's grace is so big. It's so powerful that it could cover those moments of failure. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, those of you who have a true faith, over time, you're going to produce a return for the Father. What He's entrusted with you, you're going to return it back to Him with an increase. Even though there may be times of failure, even though at times you may have buried your talents, you're going to keep going, you're going to press forward. So what do these opportunities look like for you in your life? What talents has God entrusted you with? And that's a difficult question to answer because everybody's abilities are different. So your opportunities that God gives you are different. It's not the same. When I look out across our body, I think about Sergio. Sergio speaks a native Oaxacan language that people in the neighborhood speak. He's born in Mexico. He immigrated into the U.S. Sergio could be way more effective than I could ever be in this neighborhood because of his natural abilities. And because of those abilities, God's given him a pile of talents that are different than everyone else's. No pressure, Sergio. (laughs) Or I think about Manny. Manny could blend in with the white middle class crowd. He can blend in with the immigrant crowd. He has an element of versatility that I don't have, that Larry doesn't have, that Mark doesn't have. And with that's going to come its own unique set of talents. Plus, he can crack really bad jokes and make people laugh. (laughs) And I think about Larry. Larry's experience of living on the streets in Chicago and hustling and going through drug addiction and recovery. He has a unique set of opportunities to exercise his faith in this neighborhood. And so what happens if you're faithful over a period of time with these golden opportunities that God has given you? What is the result? So if you would read with me Matthew 25, 20 through 23. Jesus says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made you more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, no matter how many talents each servant had, no matter what their opportunities were, everyone got the same reward which was to enter into the joy of their master. Right? You could be Francis Chan and speak to thousands of people every weekend, or you can be this little unknown servant in this corner of Canoga Park being faithful with what God has entrusted you, and you get the exact same reward. You see, these people who produced a return... They were busy about the Lord's business, not their own. 
They were investing for him, not for their own gain. They were willing to take risk and serve the master. Not so for the one with the one talent. In Matthew 25, 24 through 27, it says, He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed? You ought to then have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. You see, the man who was given one talent was lazy. He never really risked anything for his master. While his master was gone, he took that talent, he buried it, and he was going about his own business, not the Lord's. And then as his master's gone, he's thinking of a story of deceit. He's thinking of an excuse to justify his laziness. In verse 24, when the master comes back, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. He's basically telling Jesus, I didn't do it because of you, because you're a hard man, because you gather where you don't sow. What am I supposed to do? I was afraid, and so I hid this talent. But he never knew his master, did he? Because Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And all who are weary laden should come to him. That's not God. That's not his character. And Jesus responds to that statement by questioning the man. As he does in many cases. And Jesus says, or the master says, You know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Notice the question mark at the end of that sentence. It makes all the difference in the world. He doesn't say that he's gathered where he hasn't sown. So Jesus doesn't debate, debate his character with the man. But Jesus takes him at his own appraisal of the master. And he says, okay, if you believe this, if you believe that I'm a hard man and I extract where there's nothing to be extracted, why didn't you then produce a return? How many people are sitting in churches this morning across America who are going about their own business who claim to have this relationship with the master and making excuses. You see, it's so easy in our culture to profess a faith. It's so easy to say that Jesus is my master and fill our time with the things of this world and have no time to invest in the kingdom. When I first became a Christian in college, I went to this retreat called College Briefing. And it was in Lake Forest in Southern California. And Campus Crusade for Christ puts this event on and they've been doing it for 30 years. And so I go there and there's 600 college kids from all across the country. And we're worshiping and we're praising the Lord. And there was so much energy there. And that's where the sparks first started to fly with Bonnie. I met her there. (laughs) So it was a very important retreat for me. But I'll never forget, this has stuck out in my mind. 
after this man, one of the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, he gave this powerful message on what it means to follow Jesus. And then he looks out and he says, I've been doing this for 30 years. 15 years from now, 20% of you will be followers of Christ. 20%. That's how the statistics play out. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in that 20%? Or are you going to be in that 80 that's not following? Decide right now. And I thought, what the heck is this guy talking about? He has no idea what he's talking about. And sadly, as I look at my group of friends that joined me on that retreat, people who were Christians long before I ever became a Christian, professed to be servants of the Lord, but I doubt they really are. And I remember a time in my life, after college, I started working, I just got married, I'm working at Deloitte. In my whole life, my dad has made a big deal about money. Insecurity. And it's always been an issue. Are we going to have enough money? And so when I started my career, that's what I was focused on. Is building security. Advancing in my company. Creating this illusionary safety net. And during that time, I was sacrificing my relationship with my wife, with my family, and with God. You see, I had these talents, and I took a shovel, and I buried them in the backyard. And I didn't have time to think about those talents because I was so busy going about my own business. And then we were going to Cornerstone, and Francis preached this message lukewarm and loving it and then I attended this conference by Paul Tripp that talked about what God's plan was for the family and the Holy Spirit did something in me and I had realized what I was doing you see if we have a real faith if we have an active faith you're not going to stay in that position to where your talents are buried because you can't live like that God won't let you. In the end, what happens to the man with one talent? Matthew 25, 28 through 30, it says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, in the end, the one who doesn't have a true faith, the one who never produces anything their whole life, is uncovered. No matter how clever your story, God will not be deceived. He judges a man's heart and he does it correctly a hundred out of a hundred times. My dad has always told me, I'm going to slip into heaven at the end. He wants to do just enough to make it in. And he says, I don't care if I have a little shack on the corner of your property in heaven. And I don't think he's joking. He does just enough. But if you're trying to do the minimum, if all you want to do is slip in and have a little shack in the corner of heaven, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a scary place to be. Now the next section of scripture after the parable of the talents is entitled The Final Judgment. 
After going through this, I actually think that it shouldn't be divided by that section, the final judgment, because this is very much connected to the parable of the talents and to the parable of the ten virgins, which is, which is right before that. And let's read through that section together. I'm going to read through Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, ye who are, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, Jesus is painting a picture of the final judgment that's to come. And everyone who has ever lived is going to be there. Look around this room. Every one of us, I promise you, will be there. Every person we meet in the park, every person we meet in the apartments, every person you've ever came in contact with will be there with you. And either you go to the right with the sheep, or you go to the left with the goats. There's no third column. There's no way to slip by. And let me tell you, it will be here that quick. You're going to blink your eye and you will be there. I promise you that. I'm 37 years old. It's gone by in a blink of an eye. Britt is 40 years old. It's gone by like that. He's halfway through. I'm under halfway through. Now to those who are living out their faith, who have this active faith that's living itself out, this is actually an encouragement. You think, wow, I'm going to go to the right and I'm going to enter into the joy of the Father. I'm going to go to this place that He's prepared for me. It's all been worth it. Taking all that risk, losing myself, investing for the kingdom. I was tired. It was hard. But now for eternity, I'm with the Father. It's not such a good picture for those who go to the left. And in this section of scripture, what I love about it is Jesus gives an example of what it looks like to live out this faith. These wonderful examples. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Those are the talents. Those are simple things. He didn't say when you built that crystal cathedral, when you built that eight-story orphanage, when you shared the gospel with 10,000 people. No, he's talking about feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, showing hospitality to the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, going to the prisoner. And 
Anyone could do that. It's simple stuff. We don't have to accomplish mighty things. All we have to do is be faithful with what God has given us. Now lately, for some reason, I've been reading scripture with a new perspective. My mind has been blown away. It's like a light bulb has turned on. And I'm beginning to get just a little glimpse for what God's heart is for the poor. For those on the fringe of society who are the most vulnerable. And it started actually with reading this book called Christians on the Border. But this book really outlined God's heart for the stranger and for the poor and for the outcast in the Old Testament. And it walked through the Levitical laws and how God had such compassion and care for the stranger and for the poor that He built these mechanisms into the law to help protect the most vulnerable people of society. I never recognized that. All the times I was in college and all the times I read the Bible, it, it never struck a chord within me. And as I've been reading through the New Testament, I've noticed that Jesus spent most of his time with sinners, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with the unclean, with lepers, with people on the fringe of society, the people who are most vulnerable in this world. And this blows my mind away. I'm not going to cry. Okay. When Jesus was just starting his ministry, he's going into Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue, and he opens up the scroll, and he's setting the tone for this ministry to come. In a sense, this is his mission statement, and he's sharing it to the world. And he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he goes to chapter 60, and listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that last sentence is significant, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> As Jovan was sharing with me on Friday, what Jesus is talking about there is the year of Jubilee. Now what God wanted his people to do, I think it's in Leviticus, he says, listen, every seven years, the land should go fallow. It should be a year of rejuvenation. And then at the end of seven of those seven-year cycles, Right, every 49 years, the land is to be redistributed. In this year of Jubilee, it's to go back to the original tribes. All debts are to be canceled. Bond servants are to be set free. Right, and Jesus is coming, and what's interesting is, the Jews never practiced the year of Jubilee. They let it slide. And you know why I think that happened? It's because once you have wealth, once you have power, once you've accumulated stuff, you don't want to redistribute. You don't want to forgive your debts. You don't want to let your servant go free. And so God actually punished Israel. They were led into captivity into Babylon partially because they never recognized those cycles and the year of the Jubilee. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to redistribute everything. <laughs> Who does this mission statement resonate with? He says, I've proclaimed it 
good news to the poor. Probably the poor. He's going to proclaim the good news to you. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Probably people who are held captive, that's going to resonate with them. I'm going to get liberty. Recovering sight to the blind. The blind, they're going to get to see again. To set liberty those who are oppressed. People who are oppressed, this message is going to resonate with. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those who don't have any land anymore. Those who are debtors. That message is going to resonate the most with them. You see, the gospel is actually a hard pill to swallow. If you're rich. If you're not a captive. If you can see. If you're not oppressed. If you're wealthy and you have this land. It's a hard pill to swallow. And as Britt was sharing, when we look in the New Testament, we only really see one man of prominence and wealth come to the Lord, which is Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, yeah, 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 you have all this knowledge. You know the letter of the law. You have all this wealth. But you, Nicodemus, you have to come down. You have to be born again. You have to hit the reset button. When Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven, I've studied that verse. And do you know what I think it really means? It's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. That's what it means. Right? But then Jesus goes on to say, but nothing is impossible with the Lord. So there is hope for the rich man. You see the woman at the well, the Samaritan, she got this living water. This message that Jesus was delivering resonated with her. Jesus lifts her up. And so my point is this. Think what you want for yourself. But most of our opportunities, most of our focus, where our faith should be playing itself out is with those who are on the fringe of society. Those who are most vulnerable. Because that's where the gospel message can most easily take root. It offers a message of hope to people who are on the fringe of society. If you're tired, if you feel like giving up, if you're wondering if it's worth it, it's worth it. Because one day, and I promise you this, you will enter into the joy of the Lord. And all these trials, all this stuff that you're going through, it's going to be a distant memory. Two nights ago, we had a family movie night. And we decided to watch Benji. And the original Benji. Right, this thing was made in like 1972. So our kids were there, Bonnie was there, Alexa was there. And it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Okay. The first half hour is just about Benji going on his daily routine with nothing but Benji going on his daily routine. It's a slow movie. Lexa couldn't take it. She had to cut out in like 20 minutes. <laughs> and then after a while, Bonnie goes, you know what, I'm tired. I'm going to bed too. Or she may have gone first and then Lexa. And Daisy's still up. And Kat, they love Benji, right? It's horrible. And so I took my two daughters upstairs. Cass, Cassie got in her bed. Daisy gets in her bed. And she's three, and so she, she still kind of pees at night when she's in bed, so we got to give her pull-ups. And so I go to look for the pull-ups, and there's nothing. We're all out of pull-ups. And we're tired now. Right? It's like 10.30. So I go downstairs, Bonnie. Should I go to the store right now and get pull-ups? And we decided to roll the dice. So I took her, I kind of roused her out of her sleep, I put her on the potty just so I can get anything out that's there. Put her back in her bed. 
and we were tired and we were like, Lord, please, just let her sleep through the night without peeing in her bed. Because we've been dealing with throw up and all this stuff over the last several weeks. And so, yesterday, the next morning, Daisy runs into the bed. I did it, Daddy, I did it. You know, I feel her butt, there's no wetness. I go, wow, you didn't go pee in your bed. She goes, no, I didn't. I did it. I'm a big girl now. I thought, wow, you are a big girl now. And I'm thinking, I'm going to save so much money not having to buy pull-ups. And a couple times during the day, she said, I'm a big girl now. I said, yeah, you're a big girl now. I'm proud of you, Daisy. And then as I was here last night, <clears throat> kind of going over my, my notes, Bonnie goes to put her in her bed. And it's wet. She goes, what is all this wetness? And Daisy goes, it's water, Mommy. That's not water, Daisy. You see, she had been living a lie. My little three-year-old was a fraud. She had woken up that morning. She had changed her underwear by herself. She had come downstairs and pretended like everything was okay. I'm a big girl now. No matter how deceptive she was, no matter how clever she was, in the end she was found out for who she really was, which is a fraud. So will it be, mark my words, for the person who takes their talents, who professes to be a follower of Christ and never produces a return. But there's hope. If you're in that place, that's why Jesus came. He came for the joy that was set before him. And he wants you in his kingdom. This is something you can't muster up. This is something you can't try hard enough to capitalize these opportunities. This is a living faith that God gives you that results in an increase. And so if you're in that place, please, please, please repent. Please run to the Father. Confess your sin and He will change your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. God, I pray that we would be a body, a church, God, that capitalizes on the opportunities that You give us, Father. Give us the strength that we need to live out our faith, Lord. Give us the strength that we need to follow you with our whole heart, Jesus, because we can't do it ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen.